You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. seated we wrap up a series today that we've been in all month called my prayer life could be better and we've been looking at some practical ways for all of us to grow in the spiritual discipline of prayer and the goal this whole month is just to take one step forward even if it's just one small step forward every week that we might be more consistent in prayer be more mature in prayer be more informed in prayer in the month of october than we were in in september And so let's continue just to take some steps forward today to have a deeper understanding of prayer. Uh, These past few weeks, we've been looking at the what's of prayer, the why's of prayer. We looked at fasting for a while. Today, I want us to look very practically on how you and I can pray for other people. So with your copy of God's Word, would you go with me, please, to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians, uh, the 10th book into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then you land in Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. A very practical look, I hope, for you today on how you can pray for other people. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. This is actually Paul praying for the church at Ephesus, and we're going to kind of eavesdrop in on this prayer and learn some things about prayer ourselves today, especially how we can pray for others. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 14. I hope you have your copy of God's Word or a smartphone with you today or a really nice person seated next to you. They'll be glad to share their copy of God's Word with you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Keep your Bibles open. Uh, Paul is praying for others, specifically for believers, for the church there at Ephesus, but in doing so, as Paul prays this prayer, you and I can listen also and learn how to pray for others. So maybe even right now, Think of someone you're going to be praying for this week. Uh, Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, a roommate, maybe a son or a daughter, maybe a a grandson, a granddaughter, maybe your mom and your dad. Just think of one person. Could you make a commitment to pray for one person this week? What does Paul do? In, In verse 14, he kneels before the Father. Now remember, he's in prison. And so he is in a prison cell. He's under house arrest. He, he, he is kneeling down to pray. Uh, going to your knees to pray is a posture of humility. It's a position of, of dependency upon the Lord. But when you're on your knees, you're in a very vulnerable position before the Father. In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra goes down on his knees and, and he confesses the sins of Israel before the Lord. Uh, in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel goes on his knees before the Lord and he, he prays out this prayer of great emotion, this prayer of great, of great passion. 
In Acts chapter 20, when, when Paul meets with the elders, they're, they're weeping as they're about to, uh, Paul's about to depart, and they go on their knees and they, and they pray together. They have these prayers of deep emotion and these prayers of, of deep passion. This is what it looks like biblically, scripturally, to get on your knees before the Lord in, in prayer. Remember in Psalm 95, we read, come and let us worship the Lord. Let us bow down before him. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. So kneeling in prayer is a reminder of who we're praying to, the king, the creator, the the holy one. And, And scripturally, when you see people praying on their knees, usually it's a prayer of great emotion, a prayer of great passion. It's the reason that 10 years ago we put the the prayer rails and the, the prayer benches here at the front, a place for you to come and, and kneel before the Lord as we worship the Lord, as we worship the King. And this is a very fascinating prayer because Paul is praying for believers. And Paul in his prayer is reminding us that we can understand something without actually experiencing it. As Paul is praying, we're beginning to learn that we can actually understand something in principle, but, but not in daily practice. Again, Paul is praying for believers here, not for non-Christians. And so why would he pray a prayer like this for those who are already in Christ? For you note-takers, you can write this down. This is a prayer for Christ followers to entirely experience what is already gloriously true. So this is a prayer of Paul for believers in Christ. In the same way, I hope that this week you'll be praying for a believer in Christ to entirely experience, to, to fully experience what is already glorious, tr- gloriously true about those who are in Christ Jesus. What is glorious true, gloriously true of them is that they're already in Christ. What is gloriously true about them, they already have the Spirit of God in them, just as you do, follower of Christ. But what is true about these believers, they've already experienced and responded to the love and the grace of Jesus. God is already at work in them, but Paul wants them to entirely experience it. Not just to intellectually understand it, but to experience all that is true about the gospel, all that is true about salvation, all that is true, gloriously true, about being in Christ Jesus. So if it is true of everyone in this room that all of our prayer lives could be better, let's learn how to pray for others this week, praying for others who are in Christ So I hope you have someone's name in mind, even right now. Again, your spouse, your son, your daughter, your close friend, your roommate, someone that you work with that knows Christ, a parent, a grandparent, whatever that might be for you, a family member, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiance. Let's see five ways that we can pray for others that are in this passage this morning. So just kind of under the heading of praying for others. Let's start with this. Number one, they would be strengthened on the inside. This is how I'm gonna encourage you to pray for another believer this week, maybe someone within your family, in your circle of friends, that they would be strengthened on the inside. The first thing that Paul does is he prays for this inner strength, to be strong on the inside. I hope your Bible's still open. Go back to verse 16, where it says that according to the riches of his glory, he, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is not praying for the circumstances on the outside to change for those who are in Ephesus. Instead, he's praying that their hearts would be strengthened on the inside. And you know this, spiritual strength always begins on the inside. Weakness spiritually on the inside leads to to sin, to frustration, to disappointment, to despair, to ineffectiveness. 
It doesn't really matter what you try to be on the outside. What you are on the inside is who you really are which is why Paul comes and begins to pray for the hearts, the the inner beings of those who are in Christ, because you can't hide that portion from God. What you really are, friends, is what you really are on the inside. And we work so hard here in America on the outside, don't we? To make sure everything looks right or even spiritually right on, on the outside. Think how much energy and money and mirror time and image management we have spent to take care of the outside And then we show whatever version of that outside person we want people to see. But the inner person is actually the issue. This is why Paul begins to pray for the believers that Christ would strengthen them on the inside. Becoming more like Christ begins on the inside of the believer. Not just our outside behavior modification. So if you want to grow in Christ's likeness, then your heart needs to fully belong to Jesus. And then that's what makes us Christ-like on the outside, that the outside will fall in place once our hearts fully belong to the Lord. So this is a prayer not only for those that you know, that you love, that you care for. This is a prayer you can pray for yourself, that you would be strengthened on the inside. You see, if you put a spiritual show on that there's really nothing happening here, but you're trying to look spiritual on the outside, that's hypocrisy. You are what you are on the inside. It all begins with inner strength. That's a great way to pray for somebody this week, that they would be strengthened in the inner person. Number two, that Jesus would be comfortably settled in them. Here's how you can pray for your friend this week, a family member this week, your spouse this week, your best friend this week, that Jesus would be comfortably settled in them. Look at the beginning of verse 17. It uses that little phrase there, so that. Here's one of the reasons that that Paul is praying, that, that God would grant you inner strength through the Spirit so that, you see this in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul is not talking about salvation because the Holy Spirit is already residing in the hearts of these believers in Ephesus. So what does he mean? Well, you have to take the word dwell. You see the word dwell there in verse 17? Uh, in Greek, it's the word katoikeo. Katoi, uh, or okeo, means to, to, to live at home or to live in a house. But kata means, means down. So what you have in this, this verb right here, it means to settle down into a home. So to understand this, the way to understand this is if your life is strengthened by the Holy Spirit on the inside, is it true that Christ is settled down into your heart? I guess the question that has to be asked today is this, is Jesus comfortable in you? I mean, could you say that about your own, own heart, that Christ could, could settle down, could settle in, could, could live in my heart and, and, and not be made to feel like a guest in your heart, to not be made felt like a, a guest or an uncomfortable guest in your life? About 20 years ago, I began the fun journey of, of being a lead pastor. I was a pastor up in the Dallas area. I came there in April, and in July of that summer, got a phone call that an older lady in our church was getting close to heaven, and she had not met me, I had not met her, and she wanted to know if I could come to her house and meet her before she went to see the Lord. And uh, this is in Dallas, summertime, it's really hot, so I agreed, of course, to to go over. And I I went into her house, and there were two sons that, that met me at the door, and they, they brought me in. They introduced me to, to their mom. And it was so hot in that room. Again, it was hot outside. 
but there was a space heater. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm, I'm a sweater, like, or I am one who sweats. Like, I, I just sweat constantly anyway. Like, it's, I'm not nervous. I'm just alive. Like, I, if I'm breathing, I'm, I'm sweating. So I'm just, I sweat all the time. I just run a little bit hotter maybe than everybody else. And so I went to this room, and it was so hot in there. And she, she had a space heater for, for herself. And then she had these oil diffusers everywhere. So it smelled like, you know, essential oil factory had blown up in there. So it was just this, all this smell everywhere. And then the, the two sons left the room and they went to a side room and began to argue, like loudly began to argue, I think over who gets the furniture, you know, about the will, like they're arguing about all this stuff. So I'm hearing this argument from very two uh, hot tempered sons in, in a room together. And, and, and the lady, I was trying to talk to her, trying to, trying to minister to her. Her dog was, was in the, the, the bed with her. And, and the, the dog just stared at me so funny the entire time. I just like, I was afraid to hold this lady's hand to pray because I thought as soon as I reached out to hold her hand, that dog's gonna, it was like those little yapper, you know, poodle dogs, kind of, you know, half, half dog, half rat, whatever, you know, it's kind of a small little, small little poodle dog. But it was just was staring me and like one of its teeth was kind of gnarled up a little bit at me the whole time. And so I was trying to minister, pray with this lady, but my, my other eye was kind of fixed on this dog thinking it was about to attack. And then my ADD kicked in. I couldn't even pay attention to this lady. I was like staring at that dog thinking, we're in a contest. Like that dog's not blinking. That dog's just staring at me. And the more I looked at that dog, I was like, that, oh, that dog's dead. That dog has died in her bed. I know. So when the son, that's what I did as well. <laughs> So the, the sons were about to come in and she said, do you want to pet my dog? I was like, no, don't, don't mate me. I don't, want to, I don't want to pet your dog. And so the sons came back in. I kind of walked over to them. I was like, I think, I think your mom's dog is dead. I'm like, oh yeah, it died three years ago. Like we, we stuffed it and she just like, she wants it next to her. So it's like that stuffed dog that she's had. Well, they didn't put dog eyes into it. It was like some like mountain lion eyes or something they had put in. So that's why it looked so free. Like it was like piercing straight, straight through me. So like I went, I mean, then I really started to sweat because now it's, you know, hundred degrees and there's a dead dog in the bed. I feel really awkward now. I'm not going to pet that dog. She keeps asking if I want to pet that dog. So I went home, took a shower, got all the peppermint oil and thieves off of me and all the essential oil stuff. It, I was unbelievably uncomfortable in that place. Here, here's the tie-in. Is Jesus uncomfortable in your house and in your life and in your heart? Because I was that day. I know there's a little stretch of, a, of a illustration, but that's kind of the question that we see happening right here. Is Jesus a, an uncomfortable guest in your house, in your life, in your heart? But here, here's, here's the question you gotta hear. Or is he the absolute owner of everything in your life? Can Christ know everything about you on the inside and still feel comfortable and say, oh, this is home for me? Here's a little, little side point. God doesn't want you to simply lay his infinitely glorious son on top of your incredibly busy lives. That's not the gospel. That Jesus just becomes one more thing in the busyness of our agendas. That's not the hope of the gospel. That's not the heart of the Father. Is that we just add Jesus in to all the things that are already happening in our lives. God is not interested in Jesus being one, one more of the many items on our agenda list. God's will for you though, Christian, is that Jesus settles in and finds a home deep within your heart. And then Jesus sets this joyful agenda, this purposeful direction 
for your life. You see, the lordship of Christ, it, it extends to, to every aspect, every dimension of our, of our lives. Christ settles in. He's at home, which is why Jesus says in John chapter 14, I will come and I will make my home in you. And my father will make his home in you. You see, the Lord wants to settle into your heart, settle down deep into your life. And in some hearts, I wonder, can Jesus really settle in? I mean, what about your heart? It's gonna be easy to use this prayer to pray for other people, but what if you prayed this prayer for your life this week that, that, that Christ would comfortably settle into your life? This is a great way to pray for others. That Christ would be comfortable in them and that Christ would have full ownership over them. Thirdly, that they would take hold of Christ's immeasurable love. What a great way to pray for other people. One thing about love, you, you really can't understand it just by definition. You have to understand love by experience. And Paul says here in the middle of verse 17, when your life is rooted and grounded in love, the beginning of verse 18, you'll have that strength to comprehend the fullness of the love of Christ. You see, it's not a love that everyone in Waco can understand, only those who are in Christ. And if you say you're a Christian, but you don't have this type of love, then the Bible says you're nothing more than a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You see, the thing about love, it's not just that you intellectually understand it, but you fully comprehend it. You, you've wrapped your life around it, which is the word we see here in verse 18. It's the word comprehend. It's a very strong word. Cata uh, lombano. And it means to see something. It means to take possession of something. It's actually like a violent, aggressive word. You take hold of something and you pull it close to you. So when you live in the love of Christ, you're literally grabbing hold of all the dimensions of the love of Jesus and you're pulling it in close. And you just need to know, Christ follower, that this type of love doesn't just show up once in a while. Once that love is in you, you've understood all the dimensions of the love of Christ for you, you begin to show that love to others. So it's not a sometimes love and other times hate, or sometimes love and other times bitterness, or sometimes love and other times jealousy. No, it's this, it's this dominant love, and it's experienced by the one in whom Christ has settled down, and Christ is at home in them. That person can fully comprehend love in all the dimensions. And that's the point of verse 18, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ. It's that limitless nature of the love of Jesus, the immeasurability of the love of Christ for us. It's that love, verse 19, that surpasses all knowledge. So it's not just the love that you have some facts on. It's the love that you experience because of Christ in you. And this is a great way to pray for others. This is a great way to pray for your spouse. Great way to pay, pray for your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance. The grandparents, this is a great way to pray for your grandkids that they would take hold of the immeasurable love of Jesus. Fourthly, they'd be filled with the fullness of God. This is a great way to pray for others. This isn't just a picture of the Holy Spirit living in us. It's the character of God being seen through us. And this is absolutely staggering, I think, here in verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What a daring prayer. What a bold prayer to pray for others, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. What would that look like? It would look like godliness. God's character in you. God's love in you, but not just God's love in you, the fullness of God's love in you. 
God's grace in you, but not just God's grace in you, but the fullness of God's grace in you. God's compassion, but not just God's compassion, but the fullness of God's compassion in you. God's character in you so that it's spilling over. This is how you can pray for your kids. Moms and dads who might be here for homecoming weekend, here's how you can pray for your sons and your daughters, that God's character in them would be so full that it's just spilling over into the spheres of all their lives. It's a great way to pray for your kids. And college students, you're here right now, listening, I'm certain, as you are every Sunday, by the way, if mom and dad is sitting next to you, your kid is here every single Sunday. It's amazing, always ready to go. Here's how you can pray for your mom and your dad, that God's character in them would be so full the character of God would just spill over into all the spheres of their lives. This is all sequential. Do you see this? This is all sequential. Verse 16, inner strength leads to verse 17, an indwelling of Christ who makes his home in you, which leads to verse 17 and 18. Christ's immeasurable love that's not just factually defined, but fully experienced, so that verse 19, you may be filled with the fullness of God. It's a great way to pray this week. Fifthly, that God's prayer would be at work excuse me, God's power would be at work in them. Here's how you can pray, that God's power would be at work in them. Verse 20, the beginning of verse 20, now to him who is able. So it's not our power in us, but God's power in us. It's not the person you're praying for, their power in them, but God's power in them. Verse 20, the very end says, it is God's power at work within us. What does our power do? Our power is not lasting. Our, our, our power is not fruitful. Our power is expirable. Our, our power runs out. But God's power at work within you or God's power at work within the person you're gonna be praying for this week, it has no end. It bears much fruit. It is limitless. It is inexhaustible. And this is my favorite part of this prayer because we've seen five ways to pray. Now God can go beyond all five of those prayers because of the beginning of verse 20. Look at it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. The original language is almost humorous the way that it reads. It reads far beyond every far. Like that's how far it goes. I mean, pray big this week and that means God can answer bigger still. And if the power is gonna come from God, then the glory is gonna have to go back to God, which is why we have verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Say it with me, amen. I've seen something these last nine months in college students that I've never seen before in 30 years of full-time ministry. God is doing something in the hearts of college students around our nation, and I will say very specifically here in Waco. A lot of things I could point to. A lot of conversations, a lot of social media posts that are actually redeemable. Students showing up for prayer events about four years ago, we started doing men's prayer on Sunday mornings at eight o'clock. We started that 10 years ago. 48 months ago, we were running about 15 to 18 men would show up for, for men's prayer, which is great. I mean, God was answering those prayers. Something happened about 36 months ago where these college students, college guys started coming to men's prayer to the point that this past semester, we've been averaging about 100 men showing up for 8 a.m. prayer. About 70 of them are college guys. 
I would have barely made the 11:20 gathering at Highland. I was a Baylor student. These college guys are getting here at eight o'clock to seek the Lord and, and to pray. There, there are prayer gatherings that are happening um, on Thursday mornings around Baylor campus, around our city, praying for college students called early morning prayer. College students are, are praying for revival, praying for spiritual awakening. It's something that I have not seen before. It's something that was not happening when I was a Baylor student. So don't think, well, it's Baylor. Of course, that goes on. That's, that's, not, that's not the truth. I've been comparing notes with other pastors here in town. And as you can look around the room and see today, a lot of churches are being filled up with college students that have never seen numbers like this before of college students coming to church, gathering for church on, on a Sunday morning. So I don't know what God's up to. I will tell you this, that the 200-year-old collegiate day of prayer for the first time in 200 years is taking place at Baylor in February. This past year, it was at Asbury. Next February, the 29th, it's going to be at Baylor on Waco Hall campus where a live stream will be sent out across the world praying for college students and praying for revival and spiritual awakening among Generation Z. I'm seeing things happen I've never seen happen before. Then four weeks after that is FM 72 on Baylor's campus, 72 hours of prayer and of worship and seeking the Lord. So because I know there's a lot of moms and dads here and a lot of non-college students here as well, I wanted to put a prayer on the screen on how we could pray for, for college students, specifically using these five things. And you can write this down or grab a picture if you want to, but here's a great way for us to pray. Father, strengthen the inside of our college students. And students, don't take that badly. We, we consider you ours. Like we love you here at Highland. These are, you're our college students. Father, strengthen the inside of our college students. Jesus, be comfortably settled in them as they would take hold of your immeasurable love for them. Fill them with your fullness so that our college students may know your power at work in them. Non-college students, I'd encourage you to pray that prayer these coming days, these coming weeks, this coming season, these coming semesters for our college students. Would you all stand with me, please? There was a spiritual awakening back in 1904. They're called, it's called the Welsh Revivals. Historians say it wasn't as much solely a preaching revival. It was a singing revival. People would sing and they would, they would pray and they would seek the Lord and they would read scripture and, and preachers would, would go around wells and share the gospel. The revival only lasted 12 months, but 100,000 Welch converted to Christ in that 12-month window. And the churches were filled and there's documentation of, of coal miners and, and wells who would gather for early morning prayer and they would sing and down the mine shaft, you, you could hear the reverberation of these songs of worship. They would bring chairs in to, to the churches because they were so filled. Some documentation as well as uh, little kids who went to feed the pigs in the mornings back in 1904. And the, the kids would meet in a pigsty and they would pray together for their parents. They would pray for their country as third, fourth, fifth graders. And they would sing songs together in the pigsty. One of the more humorous things is that the mules who were carrying the carts up and down the mine shafts there in, in wells, they had to be retrained because so many coal miners were being saved 
their language was cleaned up with the spirit of the Lord inside of them. And the mules couldn't understand their new clean language at that point. So they had to be retrained because they were no longer, the coal miners were no longer using the words that they were once using to give direction to the mules. Out of that revival came a song called Here is Love. In fact, kind of the subtitle of that song is The Love Song of the Welch Revivals. We're about to sing that song together. And as we sing this song, Highland, I would encourage you to pray for spiritual awakening among college students. You know, every major world revival always begins with young adults and college students. It doesn't begin with the 50-year-olds or the retired people. It always begins with college students who are committed to prayer and to purity. And they begin to see spiritual revival happening. So as we sing this song, here's my invitation. Moms and dads, maybe you want to come and just get on your knees before the Lord, to kneel before the Lord in a humble posture and pray for your college student. College students, maybe you want to come and and kneel here at the front and fill up the altars, praying for revival, for spiritual awakening among your generation. And I'm not trying to put any heavy onus on college students of you better start a revival. In fact, the onus belongs to those who are not in college. We better live lives of example before you and pray for you and breathe life into revival fires. But if your heart's committed today to seeing God do something in this generation that has never been seen before, maybe since the 1900s. By the way, that revival spread to England, to the Scandinavian countries, and then some Welsh moved to California and a revival started in California in the early 1900s because of what God did in a singing revival in 1904 in Wells. So let's sing. Would you want to come and pray and ask God to wake up spiritually this generation?